Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Well, howdy, Faith Church. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us online or here on campus. We're working our way through a sermon series in the book of Romans. It's pretty thick. If you were here last week, it's a deep dive into the pool, probably the hardest book in the Bible to work ourselves through, but we're doing it together. So hopefully this week you started reading it. And if you haven't started to read it, man, I, I know this is maybe a little bit crazy, but like you don't need me to explain this to you. You actually have a Bible and the Spirit of God living inside you. That's all you need. It's great to come to church and learn. It's a great thing. But at the end of the day, man, pick up your Bible and use it. It will be a compass to you to guide you in all areas of life. So we're leaning into the book of Romans together. And I was thinking about this week, what drives me to make decisions? All of us are driven by something to make decisions. Sometimes we're driven by risk. We're risk takers. Some people are more safety oriented. I want to make decisions that are safe. Sometimes we're driven by comfort or convenience. Sometimes we're driven by substances and sex. Sometimes it's money or a desire to be accepted. Every single one of us uses some kind of grid to make decisions through. Something that's in front of us that we go, I make my decisions through this grid, something that's driving me, something that makes me tick, that leads me and guides me. We all are driven by something. So I wonder today if we could ask this question, what does it look like to be driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to be driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might go, well, you know what? There's a lot of things that could drive me today, but there's no way that's going to drive me. Like, that's a little weird. That's for religious people. I'm not religious. That's for pastors or priests or missionaries or church workers. I can't imagine, that sounds really cheesy, to wake up every day and think about making decisions based on Jesus. But honestly, real people like you wake up every day and make decisions based on Jesus. It's actually not that weird. It's not. And in some ways, we talked about this last week. The word gospel means good news. We all make decisions because of good news, right? The word gospel just means good news. And good news just comes where good things happen to me I have good news to tell about good things that have happened to me. So I ate an incredible hamburger at a place in Allentown, and I got to tell you the good news of this good burger, right? This is normal for me and you to be driven by, I read a good book, and I've got to be driven by talking about the goodness of this book or this good music. Something that's grabbed my heart, I share, I'm driven by this good news, it aligns my heart. So now when I start thinking about Friday night, what am I gonna do? I gotta have that juicy burger get in my mouth, right? Like it starts to drive, the good news starts to drive me saying to my family and friends, we're going to get that burger. It drives my decision-making. So it is not far-fetched. If Jesus has changed your life and if he is your good news, it is not far-fetched to think that he could drive your decisions and be the filter the lens that you and I look through changes how we do things, how we process 
life. And so we're kind of going to look at that in the book of Romans today, and I'm going to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 1, or we're looking at verses 8 through 15. It's in the New Testament of the Bible. We use the New International Version of the Bible here. The, the Bible's written in different languages, and it's translated, so there's lots of English translations. The Bible we choose to use is the NIV. You could have a different text, but if you want to follow along directly with me, we use the New International Version. Love for you to follow along. Romans chapter 1. Paul's still in the introduction of his letter. He's still just sort of introducing things. And last week we talked about how the good news is formed through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So if you haven't watched that, I'd encourage you to go back and look at that. But just sort of a reminder, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to planet Earth, the Son of God, and he comes through the Jewish line of David, right? The great King David. Jesus is Jewish ancestry, and David was a great king, but Jesus is a greater king. Right? And Jesus lived his life perfectly. He loved God with his whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. And he loved his neighbor as himself. He was perfect as he walked on planet Earth. And because of his perfection, he was killed innocently. So he comes in the Jewish line of David. But when he dies on the cross, the Spirit of God raises Jesus from the dead, authenticating the fact that he is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Because nobody walks out of a grave alive. But Jesus did. And we talked about how the cross of Christ is the central focus of the Christian faith for a very good reason, because at the cross of Christ, we see a number of things. Again, this is just review. We see God's love and justice come together. The bad news for all of us is that we're sinful and broken and we're rebels, and there's no way we can rescue ourselves. And so at the cross of Jesus Christ, we see God pour his wrath out on the innocent son of God. Jesus bears in his body the penalty of sin by his wounds, we are healed. And so in the cross, we see the justice of God is satisfied. But we also see the love of God, that God would love you and me so much to send his one and only son to die. Like, no offense, I don't love you that much. I'm not sending any of my kids to die for you. Like, but God loves me that much that he gives his son and that Jesus would take upon his shoulders the wrath of God to give his life, that demonstrates the incredible love of God for us. So at the cross, we see this justice and love coming together. And it is, the Bible says, by grace through faith that we're rescued, right? There's nothing that we can earn. I can't make God pleased with me because of my religious actions or my behaviors. Giving more money or knowing more, catechism or any of that stuff isn't gonna rescue me. I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I don't deserve it. It's a gift from God that I receive by faith when I put my eyes on Jesus. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are saved. And when I do that, it actually changes my identity. I was a sinner. Now I'm a son. You were a sinner. Now you're a daughter. And you're adopted into a family, into a community of people that recognize, man, we're a train wreck, but God's grace is so incredible. He gives me all this stuff in Christ, right? And so we're adopted into this community and into a new obedience, into a new identity where I begin to live and act and walk and talk like Jesus. Paul says it this way last week. He says, now I'm a slave, a servant of Christ. Because of what Christ has done for me, it radically alters my identity. He's rescued me from any harm, sickness, and darkness. He rescues me from all this sin and brings me into this new identity. And now I give him my loyalty and allegiance. I'm a slave to him, Paul says. 
And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the full gospel of Christ, that it changes my identity and it gives me a new loyalty and a new purpose for why I live so that I might be driven by the cross of Christ in my decision-making. That's just the introduction, um, light stuff. It's pretty simple. Again, Romans chapter one, starting in verse eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers and at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. This is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the opportunity to talk today about what drives all of our decision-making. All of us in different ways, in different forms, use all kinds of rationale for why we decide to do what we do. And you have given your son, Jesus, to give us a new identity and a new loyalty and a new allegiance. So show us today, with the help of your spirit and the words from your word, to align our hearts and ignite a passion for us to wake up each day and align our hearts to your heart and show us in this passage the tools that we need. Give us the tools that we need to do do this, to live this way in a gospel, good news-centered focus. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So a number of things I learned from this passage that we'll just work our way through First, as I see in this, the gospel of Jesus Christ drives me to pray for people. So Paul starts out and says, I haven't met you guys yet. And we talked about this last week in the book of Romans. He hasn't even met these people. He's never visited Rome, but he's heard about their faith. And so now he prays for them. It's interesting because when you have a relationship with anyone, you talk to those people. Relationships is we talk and we listen. We listen and we talk. Back and forth interaction. God wants a relationship with us where we talk to each other, where we interact with one another. And prayer is just talking to God, interacting with God, listening to God. And Paul says, you know what? I've heard about these Romans and their Christians and their faith, and now I'm going to pray for them. And he says, God is my witness. I pray for you guys all the time. There's an affection he has for a group of people that he's never met, but because of their faith in Christ, he goes, I'm going to pray for you guys all the time. I swear. God is my witness. I pray for you guys all the time. So it shows this love and affection, but also this conversation that he has with God. And it's interesting, you know, when my kids were young, I knew pretty much everything they were thinking and doing, right? When kids are little, like, they don't hide anything. They know, show you everything, right? And so it's interesting when your kids tell you things you already know, you're like, I know that. But it builds the relationship, right? When your kids tell you what you already know, it connects you together. When... 
as sons and daughters of God, we tell God things he already knows. It blesses people, yes, but it actually builds my relationship with God of trust. I trust you, God, with my thoughts about so-and-so. I trust you, God, about this person I care. I'm bringing you what you already know because I trust you. And in that, not only are those people I'm praying for being blessed, my trust in God is going to go up. My trust in God is going to go up. And so what I see in this, that Jesus, this gospel of Jesus, causes me to pray for people, for real people. Now, interesting. He says, I've heard about, track this. He goes, I heard about you and your faith, and so I'm deciding to pray. This is just a little side note. Do you know that people talk about you behind your back? Do you know people talk about you behind your back? That people say things about you to other people based on your reputation. Did you know that? Do you know that people talk to God behind your back about your reputation? That there are people right now talking to God about you based on your reputation. What do you think they're saying? Paul says, based on the reputation of these Romans, their sincere faith, I'm talking to God about you. If people in your workplace or your family were praying for you, what would they pray? How would they pray? What kinds of things would they say to God about you? Maybe they'd be praying for you to have faith. Maybe they'd be praying for you to have courage. Maybe they'd be praying for you because they drive, you drive them nuts. Maybe they'd be praying for you because you keep making the same boneheaded decisions over and over and over again. Maybe they'd be thanking God because you're incredibly joyful in the midst of something difficult. People talk about you to other people and people talk about you to God. What are they saying? And that's based on your decision-making about how you live and act. And it's incredible that I've been in seasons where I've been in a really dark place and I find out someone's been praying for me and it's amazing how I've come out of a season and I didn't even know why and there's all these people been praying. So God, through the gospel of God, we have access to God. We can talk to him all the time and he wants to hear our prayers. And when we pray for people, it impacts them and builds our trust in God. Paul continues. He says, I pray now. So he's praying for people, but look what else he prays for. I pray now that by, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you. Paul doesn't know these people. He has never visited Rome He's praying for them, and he's praying that he'll have the opportunity to go to Rome, because who doesn't want to go to Rome, right? Manja, a little pizza, pasta, let's go. Like, who doesn't want to visit Rome? Everyone wants to go to Rome. Paul doesn't want to go to Rome as a tourist. He has something he wants to do when he goes to Rome. He is an ambassador of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, and he wants to go. But you know what? He says, I haven't been able to go yet. I want to go. I'd love to visit you, but I've been prevented to go. But now I'm asking God that in his will, he would allow me to go. It's interesting that the gospel of Jesus Christ opens up this access for me to talk to God all the time. But because I'm an obedient son of God, I don't just get to run and gun and do whatever I do. 
Paul says, no, I submit myself to God. I listen to what God wants me to do. I follow God's direction, his loyalty. I don't know everything, but he does. So I pray and ask God to open and close doors so the gospel of Jesus Christ drives me to pray for direction. I'm not an independent anymore. I'm not running and gunning and getting to do whatever the heck I want to do. I am now a servant of God. And so many of us want to know God's will. What should I do? What, I do? what should I not do? What, should I go here? Should I go there? But how many of us are actually willing to sit and acknowledge that we don't know what the right path is, that we're finite, that we don't know the consequences and costs and situations and circumstances that if I go this way or that way, but the God of the universe does. And as a son and daughter, I pray and submit to him and say, what do you want? And Paul surrenders his will. He wants to go to Rome but he's been prevented. Do you know why he hasn't gone to Rome yet? It's because he's occupied with other work that God says, this is the work I want you to do. You know also why he's not gone? Because if you read the book of Acts, he's in jail. He's being beaten up. He's being persecuted. In his mind, he could go, you know what? I really want to go to Rome because I got to get out of this difficulty. Life is really hard. That's the way I focus. Like I'm looking at life and it's really hard. I got to get out of this situation. So I'm going to walk over here and do this because I'm hitting the eject button from this because I got to get over here. And Paul could easily go, I'm being beaten up and I'm in prison town to town. I just got to get to Rome. I'm hitting the eject button and I'm leaving and going to Rome. But instead he stays in the difficulty and goes, God, if it's your will, I'll go to Rome. When you open the door, I'll go to Rome. Give me direction, lead me, guide me, and then I'll go to Rome. And so when I talk to God and I ask him for direction, he might open a door. God, then give me the courage to walk through it. He might also close the door. Give me the patience to wait. Because in every closed door, there's some kind of protection and provision from your Father in heaven who knows all things. But if you just run and gun and blast through doors and do your own thing, you're going to get yourself sideways. So Paul shows me the gospel of Jesus Christ drives me to pray for direction. He continues, he says, I long to see you, right? So it's interesting because he's not in Rome He's an ambassador, a gospel. He travels around place to place. He's not in Rome, but he wants to go places to introduce people to the good news of Jesus Christ. But the people who are in Rome already know. He's never been there, but they already know the good news of Jesus Christ. There's already little churches started. Why would Paul want to go there? Why wouldn't he go, you know what? That's already being dealt with. I'm good. I'm going somewhere else. Why does he still want to go to Rome? He tells us, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. When we put our hope and trust in Jesus, faith starts to grow inside our hearts. And it's almost like this little seedling, right? This is beginning, fragile, small thing that starts to grow inside us. God didn't design you to have a small faith. God didn't design you to have a fragile faith. God designed you to have a strong faith. He wants your faith to grow. So the people in Rome have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's starting to take root. It's starting to grow. But Paul's like, no, I want to come to you because I want that faith to grow strong, to be more than just something small, but something that grows into something strong and fruitful that can bear fruit and help other people. He says, so I want to come to you 
and impart a spiritual gift to make you strong. Now, when you hear that spiritual gift, it's not like he has some like little magical illusion he's going to show you. I have some cool little spiritual gift to give you. Look, every person that follows Christ has a spiritual gift to give to other people. The Apostle Paul has a spiritual gift that he wants to share with them. But I love the fact that he says, I want to share you this gift, but I'm coming also that I might be mutually encouraged by you. It isn't like the great Apostle Paul is coming to Rome, and when he gets there, boy, here it comes. You're going to get everything you need, and life is going to be great. All that's coming. Here's this great spiritual gift. He's like, no, I have something I want to impart to you to make you strong, and I need something from you to make me strong. The word encouragement has the word courage built in. Everybody needs courage, right? The great apostle Paul needed courage too. He had a strong, incredible faith. He'd been through a ton, but he needed courage too. He's like, no, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It encourages us. It drives me to give and to receive courage. It isn't just I give something to someone else. It's the gospel says, no, I'm going to give courage to other people and I'm going to receive courage from other people. So as I interact with my friends and my neighbors and the people around me. I'm talking to God about my friends and neighbors and the people around me. And I'm saying, God, who needs courage? I'm asking God, God, who needs courage around me? Because you've put me on planet Earth and you've rescued me from my sin. And there's people around me that desperately need courage. Show me how I can encourage, give courage to someone in my home, in my workplace. Reveal to me who needs courage because I wanna be someone who gives it out to other people. That's where the gospel starts to change me and make me someone who wants to dispense courage. But it also causes me to want to receive it too. You know, receiving anything from people is hard, isn't it? If someone says something kind to you or compliments you, like, oh, no, 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 no. You're so humble. <laughs> right? Like someone brings you something or gives you a gift, you're like, no, 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 no. You give you a gift and you have to go and buy a gift for them and it's like this exchange instead of no, you just, you actually just receive a gift because you need courage. If someone says, hey, I was praying for you, you go, thank you, could you, it's hard to receive courage because you'd actually have to admit that you need it. You'd actually have to say, I'm discouraged, I'm struggling, I'm feeling tempted, I'm to receive it, you'd actually have to admit there's something missing. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says to all the sons and daughters of God that we can give and we're desperately in need of courage because this life is hard. There are ups and downs, lefts and rights, and none of us are navigating it perfectly. And if the great apostle Paul needs mutual encouragement, then so do you and I. And the gospel of Jesus Christ does this. It gives me the ability to give it and also receive it with a grateful heart. He finishes by saying, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm obligated is the word in debt. I'm in debt. Is that a B? Yeah, I'm not really. <laughs> that silent B. Um, <laughs> I'm obligated, I'm in debt. We've all been in debt, and we know that debt 
fuels action of some kind, right? It fuels action. It doesn't feel good to be in debt. So imagine I borrow a hundred bucks from you. I'm in debt to you for a hundred dollars. That motivates action. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is not going, you know what? I'm motivated to care about people because I'm in debt to God and I have to pay it back. There are lots of religious people. I saw a couple of them at my doorstep this past week with ties on trying to tell me, sell me on something because they're in debt to God and they have to pay it back. We can never pay God back for all that he's done for us. That is not our motivation at all. It's a different kind of debt. It's the kind of debt where someone comes up to you and says, I haven't seen Juan or Melinda in a long time, and so would you give them to this? Give them this? Here's a $100 gift card to Starbucks. Would you, I, can't, I don't know where they are. I haven't seen them. When you see them next, can you give this to Juan or Melinda? I've entrusted something to you, and now with a great excitement, what's been entrusted to me that's not mine, I go, I'm obligated to give you this. And if I keep what's been given to me that someone else owns, what does that say about me? And Paul's like, I'm not trying to pay God back. I'm not in debt to him in a way that I owe him in that way. But I owe that what he's put in my hand, I will share it and give it to others. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been entrusted to me. I am obligated to pass this on. Who does he say? to Greeks and non-Greeks. So the ancient Roman culture was fascinated by ancient Greek culture and philosophy. And Greek philosophy was sort of the highest cultural view of living and thinking. And so if you were Greek philosopher, if you were Roman and believed in Greek philosophy, you were among the cultured. He goes, I'm obligated to the most cultured, but this word non-Greeks is actually the word barbarian. How bad, is that great, this translation, to the Greeks and to the barbarians, right? Because all of us have barbarians in our lives. We can understand that a little bit, both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. I'm in debt to take what's been put in my hands that's not mine, to bring this to you, to preach this to you. And in this, he shows me something else. He goes, you've heard it said, this is Jesus speaking. He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is Jesus's way of saying the same thing that Paul is saying, that I'm obligated to everyone, to the Greek and to the non-Greek, to the wise and to the foolish, to the cultured and to the barbarian. I am obligated to love them, to serve them. And he, he goes, here's why. It's so easy for all of us to say, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to hate this person. And when I tell that to God, what does he say? He goes, no, the person that you hate, what are you supposed to do? You're to love them and to pray for them. Love and pray for. So there's no category of person that he goes, no, even the people that are persecuting you, love and pray for them because in that way, you're a child of your father in heaven. You're putting on display who God is. When you love and pray for barbarians in your life, you're showing them there's a God who is alive, who causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the evil and the good. The character of our God is there's no barbarian that's not getting sun. There's no barbarian that's not getting rain. 
There's nobody outside the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so in this, Paul is teaching me that the gospel of Jesus drives me to share God's love with everyone, everywhere. There's no category of people that I don't share love with. Every single person. Why is this hard? Because I don't like barbarians. And we all have our own definition of who a barbarian is. Who is wise who is foolish, who is cultured, and who is non-cultured. Who's your barbarian? You've got barbarians in your mind, and you go, I can't go to church with a person like that. I can't serve in ministry with a person like that. I can't love or be in proximity to. That person is weird to me. I don't like how they live. I don't like how they act. There's no category, the Bible says, of people that are outside the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so as his sons and daughters who are here to represent him well, every barbarian in your life, the them that you don't want to love, God's like, no, the gospel of Jesus Christ drives you to love them. Who's your barbarian? And so I sort of summarize all of this. The gospel of Jesus drives me to pray for people because now I have this relationship with God. I talk to God about everything. I mean, this is maybe a weird way of saying it, but it's almost like anything I think and feel about anyone, the only person I'm safe to say it to is God. So you got some whack person in your life that you don't want to slander and gossip at work? Slander and gossip to God. He knows what you're thinking anyway. Tell him what you think and feel about those barbarians. Rant to God about what you're feeling about the different people around you. Talk to God about it. He knows it anyway. You can't hide it. Talk to him. Tell him what you're thinking and feeling about everything. Pray for people. It not only changes their lives, it changes your trust in a holy God. And pray for for direction. It's so easy for all of us to think we know which way to go and what to do. But we have limited minds and our sovereign God wants to direct our path. But are we willing to stop and ask him for direction and then wait and not just run and gun and bulldoze? Because there's places you and I have been that we bulldozed our way through thinking it was the right direction only to find out we were dead wrong. God's like, no, wait. I will open doors and give you the courage to walk through them. I will close doors and protect you and provide you. Would you wait and ask me and talk to me and watch what I do? You can pray and say, God, I need courage and I want to give courage. I want to receive courage from people and I want to give courage to people. Who can I give courage to this week? Talk to him about that, and he'll open up opportunities for you to encourage someone, and maybe there's an incredible amount of courage you need that might surprise you this week. If you would just say, God, I'm willing to receive courage from someone else, you might be surprised that he sends someone your way to give you the exact encouragement you need if you're open for it, and there's nobody outside the love of God that I am not intended by God to love. Paul goes so far as to say this in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. He's like almost chameleon-like. He's, he's changing himself to meet the needs of people. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. He's saying, I have this treasure, this good news. God put it in my hands. I can't possibly keep it for myself. I, I obey him, I honor him, but I give it away and I'm gonna do anything and everything it takes for me to share this love. I'm gonna become what I have to become in order to share this love with other people. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. And so when I 
when I have a kind of category of barbarian that I think I can't love them, I personally go to this. Like, what would Paul say about your them or your barbarian? The people, the political party, the sexual orientation, the person, the type that you're bothered by, that you think is a barbarian, that you think is whatever. What would Paul say? Paul say, I'd do whatever it takes in order to love and care for and serve whomever so that, why? That I might share in the blessing. It's going to impact that person, but it's going to impact you. This is good news for us and for everyone else that if we could live this way, it actually is a pathway to blessing and purpose for all of us. Last week I talked to you about how Finding Jesus is like finding a buried treasure, right? So if you're a pirate, what do you do? You look for a buried treasure, and under the X, it marks the spot, and there's a treasure that all of us as humans are broken. All of us are struggling. All of us are discouraged. We're looking for hope and peace and joy. We're looking for comfort, and it's found in the cross of Christ. It's found in the cross of Christ that when I recognize how broken I am and how great he is and that it's this free gift that all I have to do is put my faith in him and he transforms my identity and it changes who I am and how I live and act. When I give my heart to Jesus, he changes my heart and helps me to love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind and love people. You know what's interesting is lots of people on our planet love God or say they love God or want to love God more. But without the cross of Jesus Christ, this doesn't happen. Lots of people say, I love people until there's a barbarian in their life that they can't love. But the gospel of Jesus Christ can so transform your heart, the cross of Christ can so transform your heart that you're able to love God with your whole heart and you're able to love people with your whole heart. But without the cross of Christ, it's just religion. It's just modifying your behavior until you're frustrated or tired and you hit the eject button and do whatever the heck you want. The cross of Christ changes everything so that I look at the God of the universe and I can tell him anything and everything and I'm safe with him. He knows what I think and feel about people and problems already. And so he says, Joe, bring all that to me and trust me with it and watch what I do. I'll work through it, but watch what I do to build your trust as you tell me what I already know. And I can love like he loves. He sends his son and rain on everyone. I can be like that. And I can ask him to guide my decision-making, and I can trust his decision-making is good. So when it doesn't make sense that I'm not doing what I want to do, I don't run and gun and push through that. I wait on God, knowing he's telling me, causing me to wait to protect me and provide me. But when he opens the door, I can walk with confidence. But I can also love people and pray for people and encourage people and receive encouragement, no matter who they are, because of the cross of Christ. So I don't know what drives you today. Maybe you're driven by sex. Maybe you're driven by money. Maybe you're driven by acceptance. Maybe you're driven by fear. Maybe you're driven by anxiety. What would it take for you to be driven by the cross of Christ? Because if you are, it changes everything inside you. Let's keep talking about this. God, thanks for the opportunity to work our way through the thickness of Romans chapter one. May we not get overwhelmed May we not be underwhelmed by your greatness, that you want to give us new life, but it requires us to surrender the old life and realize the old life doesn't work. 
that you came to give us new life. When we surrender the old, we can gain the new, a new identity, a new loyalty, a new obedience, a new love for you, a new love for others, a new desire to talk to you and listen to you and be directed by you, but it all requires surrender. It's hard for us as humans to surrender. So may we see that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that you're infinite and perfect, the one who is and is to come, the one who was dead and is alive again. And as your humble servants, as your sons and daughters, as your slaves, we'll be loyal to you and you promise to give new life, to resurrect, to grant us an inheritance that will never spoil or fade, that isn't just preserved for eternity, it starts now that we can walk in that now, that we can walk in such a way that others will join us, that we would share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, not because we could pay you back, but because we've been entrusted with something that we cannot keep for ourselves. It's yours, and you want it to be distributed everywhere. Help us, God, in Jesus' name.